Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as Madison said, my name is Matt. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Schwartz. I'm the pastor of worship and operations here. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a joy and a pleasure to bring you the Word of God this morning as we learn together. Um, I think that that last song was absolutely perfect. Um, almost like the Holy Spirit works like this, that the God we worship is faithful forever, perfect in love, and is ultimately sovereign over us. He is sovereign over all things. He knows all things, is in charge of all things, and nothing happens outside of his sight. And so as we go into this passage this morning at the end of chapter 10 of Hebrews, and if you have your Bibles, please open there now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are blue ESV, uh, ESV Bibles in the pew. You can open up to about seven-eighths through the, uh, or maybe 15 sixteenths uh, for Dave Jenkins, uh, 15 sixteenths through the Bible, towards the end there. I don't ever measure in the sixteenths. It's always eighths, because I like framing houses, not doing finished work. Um, Dave will tell you that. Anyway, so, towards the back of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, we are at the end of chapter 10. This chapter, in all of Hebrews, maybe even the New Testament, that's a big thing to say, but, but let's just say in the book of Hebrews, is one of the most important, pivotal, and encouraging passages. Its magnitude is extremely, extremely important. And it reminds us, again, of this theme that we've been rehearsing over and over and over throughout the series of Hebrews, if you've been here, and that is what? what is, what's the three-word big idea of the entire book of Hebrews? Tell me. Jesus is better. So at the beginning of chapter 10, a couple weeks ago we read that all of the better things that Jesus is for us, was, is, and always will be for us, were summed up in his once-for-all perfect sufficient and eternal blood sacrifice that eternally and perfectly perfects those who are covered by it, those who by faith trust in it, those who run to its infinite fountain of grace and turn or repent from their former ways of striving, self-sanctification, religious uh, ritual and checklists, okay? When we run and turn from those things and we put our eyes on Jesus and have faith in his sacrifice for our sins, it, is, it perfectly, perfectly uh, changes us forever. And we are reminded then, so after that beginning exposition in chapter 10, the passage we looked at last week starting uh, in verse 19, we look at that not only is this new, new news for these people, but it's insanely good news and it's radically different from the ways that they had been, um, that they had understood sanctification and they had understood um, salvation from sins. These are the Hebrews that this book is talking to. These are, these are brand new baby Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing to, likely living in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish life and thought. And so the passage we learned last week is that these people with this new radical news of salvation, complete salvation from sins, they need to meet together to encourage one another, to be reminded of the hope that they have. Because the world is radically different than the world that Jesus brings. 
So to neglect to meet together and encourage one another is a dangerous thing. So these new believers were were being exhorted to don't neglect to get together because you have to have common strength. You have to have common encouragement in the blood of Jesus. Don't neglect to meet together. It's the same news for us today. Okay, but we have to remember the the uh, the author and what who he who they were writing to at this time. Okay, and so we come to this passage today right on the heels of those encouragements of don't neglect to, to, to be reminded of, of your faith. You are sprinkled clean. You are washed. Get together and encourage one another and be the body of Christ. Okay, so on the heels of that, we have this passage today starting in verse 26. Now, many um, theologians and scholars will say that this is one of the great warning passages in the Bible, but also specifically the book of Hebrews. But I want us to see that this is not simply a warning, but it's actually mostly an encouragement. Okay, and my hope and my prayer as your friend and pastor is to help us get through this passage, not simply with more ideas in our heads or theological knowledge, but to get through this difficult part of, uh, of Scripture, knowing and loving Jesus better, okay? So let's not make this overcomplicated. Let's see who our God is, and let's dig in. We ready? Well, if you're not, I'm going to preach anyway. So, uh, if you are able to stand, would you please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? Uh, It will be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along in your Bibles if you so choose. Let us read the Word of God together. Hebrews 10, 26-39. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth... There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days... When, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those who were in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a a little while, and the coming one will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith And preserve their souls. 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we enter this time to want to know more about you. And so I pray that I would not preach from my own uh, understanding or my, my, or my own bent, but that I would preach um, what your Holy Spirit is telling me to this morning. And I pray for us that you would, uh, that Holy Spirit, you would make our hearts uh, soft so that we can hear what you're teaching us and we can be more uh, like Jesus and, and love him more um, through the reading of this word, this living word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, you all may be seated. Um, raise your hand if you've ever heard of uh, author, theologian, pastor A.W. Tozer. Tozer, to- okay, so a lot of us, if you don't, that's totally okay. Uh, he, uh, he was born in the late, uh, like, 1897 or something, and he pastored, um, I mean, he's famous for pastoring through the, the ages of the, 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 um, the Second World War, so around that time. But amazing pastor and theologian, um, and he says this about this passage, because I, I try to go to people who are much smarter than I am uh, when I prepare to study the Word of God, and so this is what he says about this passage. This passage has been used by irresponsible teachers as a club who frighten half to death some of the Lord's people. And some of the Lord's more sensitive and badly frightened people have used it against themselves. And not only has it been misused by people against others and against themselves, the devil has used it to malign God and to create the impression that God is a short-tempered tyrant ruling according to his own unreasonable and unpredictable whims. And as the devil uses it to trap the consciousnesses of people, I suppose that there's hardly a passage that more people have inquired about than this one. Okay, we ready? It's a tough passage, okay? So I think the elephant in the room is that this is, this is a strong-worded warning passage, okay? If you'd like to hear more about what Tozer has to say about this, just YouTube the, this scripture reference, Tozer, and it'll pop up. It's a wonderful sermon. Okay? But like I said, I want to make this passage as simple as we can so that we can see how good Jesus is through these words. Okay? So a big idea for us today to kind of keep us grounded is this. It's on the screen behind me. It's that God's wrath against sin means the best possible news for those who continue in faith in Jesus. God's wrath against sin means the best possible news for those who continue in faith in Jesus. Okay? So if you've been traveling with us uh, here throughout our, 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 um, our study through Hebrews, um, you will know that our stance has been consistently that the author of the Hebrews is primarily, okay, primarily talking to genuine believers in Christ. Okay, and I, I'm not going to go back to uh, take the time right now to go back through all those examples, but know that we have come to this conclusion again and again, that the author is primarily speaking to the genuine believer who has, in faith, given their lives to Jesus Christ. And in turn, those that have given their lives to Jesus Christ, we believe that they are eternally secure. Okay, so even before we start, and by eternally secure, I mean they are not going to, to, to um, be uh, rejected by Christ in hell forever, okay? That he has them secure, they cannot lose their salvation. Okay, so even before we start, I want to reestablish for us that the warnings through this passage about turning away permanently or denying Jesus in his blood, also called apostasy, 
does not apply to genuine believers. This is a difficult thing to understand theologically, okay? But that's where we're landing on this. We do not believe that a true believer can lose their salvation and would land on the conviction of eternal security. And those who apostatize, or those that formerly and calculatedly, is that a word, calculatedly? I'm using it. Uh, calculatedly reject Jesus and his blood, those people, we would believe, were never actual, uh, they have never actually come to true saving faith in Christ in the first place, okay? However, there is a category, okay, that, that we pointed out in Hebrews 6, 4 to 8, okay? And if I was a YouTuber, okay, I would, or a podcaster, um, which I'm not, just a preacher, if I were a podcaster, I would say, stop now, and go back and listen to our episode on April 30th on Hebrews, actually it was April 30th, Hebrews 6, 4 to 8. Daniel really laid out for us this understanding of the different views of apostasy and what that really means. So if you're super interested in that, um, or you didn't understand it around the first time very well, go back and listen to that. I listened to it again this week and it was, it was really helpful and insightful. Daniel did an incredible job on that, okay? So if you're hearing me say language you don't quite understand, go back and listen to that sermon because we dealt with it fully, okay? Um, So, but what I want to understand today, who the author of Hebrews is speaking to, there is a category of people, okay, that truly come to faith in Jesus, that ask for forgiveness of their sins and repent of their sins at one point in their lives, but yet um, they, they, uh, they fall away from Jesus and reject him throughout their life. We do believe that, yes, they are still saved and eternally secure. However, they will lose, lose rewards in this life and in heaven, in the next life to come. Again, I'm not going to theologically dig into this too deep because we've already, we've already dealt with it deeply. And if you have any questions, please shoot me an email. Call me this week. I'd like to talk to you more about that, okay? But for today, it's really important for us to know that once you are saved, you are always saved, no matter what, okay? A few verses to back up my conviction. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of verses, but a couple. John ten twenty seven. my sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus saying this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's just a couple. Okay? We cannot lose that which we did nothing, nothing to achieve. Amen? So, let's go back to this passage. Remember a big idea that God's wrath against sin means the best possible news for those who continue in faith in Christ Jesus. How? Okay, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now remember that this is a letter. We ought to read 
large sections of text and not just get myopically focused on one chapter or one paragraph or one verse. We have to read it in its entirety. So I would encourage you, if you've never read from the beginning of Hebrews all the way to the end, do so. It actually makes a whole lot more sense. Okay? But we're going to go back to um, a little bit of context. Go back to what um, the author's exhortation is in verse 19 of this chapter. So, So chapter 10, if you look at your Bibles, look at verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, let us draw near. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Okay, so again, I've said it, I've said it before, but it's my conviction and perspective that today's passage, because the author is speaking to, is, is because, um, sorry, my, my conviction and perspective is that the author is speaking to genuine believers. And, and the warning here is largely hypothetical. That doesn't mean it's not a true warning, for some people, but for the genuine true believers, it is largely a hypothetical that the warnings are real though, okay? So I want to explain this. So let's, let's look at this from the 30,000 foot view and piece together the train of thought from the author starting at verse 19. So if you have your Bibles open and on, on your lap, look at verse 19. We have confidence through Jesus, okay? Verse 23, let us hold fast to it. Okay, verse 29, for if... Not when. For if we go on sinning, we disregard the one source of salvation. We deserve God's vengeance if we keep sinning. It doesn't say when we keep, it says if we keep sinning. Okay? Verse 32, but be encouraged, strengthen your faith. And then it finishes verse 39, for we are not those who return to our former ways, but those who have faith and press on. Now, I, I, did, I did a little bit of wordsmithing there, not to change the meaning of Scripture or strike me down now, Lord, okay? But that's to help us understand kind of the, the, uh, the train of thought that the author had going through this and who he's talking to. If we have confidence through Jesus, or we have confidence through Jesus, but if we go on sinning, so that's the, that's the hypothetical. It's a warning, but it's a hypothetical for these people. And he finishes this passage with... We are not those who shrink back, but we are those with faith who persevere. Okay? So this is how this passage is insanely good news for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So verse 26, look at it. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He says, if we go on sinning, not since we go on sinning, or because we go on sinning, as, if, as the language was previously. But if we go on sinning, there is no longer any sacrifice left for sins. This is not a cliff of despair, folks. This is a reminder of the truth that we have through Jesus. Because Jesus took care of the entire sacrificial system once and for all, completely. Jesus Christ is the complete and final sacrifice. Amen? So that, Romans 10.13 can be true, everyone who calls on the name shall be saved. Friends, there is no longer, this is the good news, listen, this Uh, There's no longer a sacrifice for sins because Jesus was and is and will always be that perfect sacrifice. 
It is lasting. It is eternal. It is perfect. There is nothing left to return to. It is all about Jesus. And this is insanely good news for the people who are being written to. These uh, former Jewish people don't need to go back to that sacrificial system of earning. It's done. It's gone. It's nullified. It's perfect. It doesn't work anymore. Like a couple weeks ago, my water, filler, uh, water filter analogy. The water has been purified completely. We don't need that intermediary step anymore. So this isn't a bad thing. The fact that there is, no, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing that we should say amen to. Amen, the sacrificial system is gone. It's, it's not there anymore. It doesn't exist. Because the person of Jesus Christ has forever secured for us the final sacrifice for sins. And it is to him that we look to to make us clean and forgive us. However, the other side of this coin is the sobering warning for those, and I I wrote this and, and I don't want this to come out negatively, for those small c Christians Those that have tasted and seen have been a part of the gatherings of the church who, who have partaken maybe even in the sacraments, who have maybe even felt the presence of the Holy Spirit moving, yet they have not completely given themselves to Jesus. They may have been Christians by association, but haven't fully, fully committed their lives to being followers of Christ and laying their lives down to Jesus. And some of these people, after having seen and heard and even tasted elements of the truth, they have rejected Christ and have fallen away from the church, have fallen away from Jesus. Verse 29 speaks to these people and says, these are people who have trampled underfoot the Son of God. Now, trampled here means just treating as completely worthless. Um, In Matthew 7, when Jesus says to his disciples, if salt has lost its saltiness, its only good use is to be thrown in the street and trampled by men. This is the same language he's using here, okay? So, those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God, those who have profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Now, this is again a difficult uh, theological... um, intersection here, that if you would like uh, more unpacking of this, I would love to do that with you. I'll need to study some more, okay? But I would love to do that with you. But here, the word sanctified is difficult, because we say, well, I thought once you were sanctified, you're perfected forever, from verse 14 of this passage. Yes, however, the use of the word sanctified here, a number of theologians, this isn't just out of my head, this can be checked by people smarter than I with degrees, um, long as the alphabet, say that a number of theologians believe that the usage of the word sanctified here means association, not necessarily assimilation with the church, but association that even in these walls, there's, there's, a, there's a sense of being covered and sanctified with the other believers. It's the same 
uh, use of the word sanctified that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians seven thirteen to 14 when he says, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. Same usage of language here, that even by association, the blood of Jesus can be at work in a person's life, okay? So that's kind of what that means here. And again, I can go into that more in person after this sermon. But finally, so uh, these people have uh, have profaned the blood of the covenant and then outraged the spirit of grace. There are people who have treated with contempt and disregard the love and the grace of our Lord. They have, they have treated it as a cheap magic trick. And this individual is who this warning is for. And this was a real dynamic in the early church, friends. Um, and we experience here today in the Western church as well. You had this new movement that Jesus started that was called the way and um, these new Christians were were coming to see what this was and to be people were be con- being converted left and right and many were starting to receive extreme persecution because of it uh, by the hands of Rome and also by the hands of the Jewish leaders and many because of this persecution which the author of Hebrews talks about in this passage because of this persecution some were throwing away their knowledge of this new way of Jesus they were they were saying I've tasted a little bit of this, but I, I, know, I know what the stakes are. I'm going to reject this and turn the other way and go back to my former life, my former religious ways. Okay? Many were throwing away Jesus Christ because um, they saw how radically different it was. They were being persecuted, and they turned their backs on it. Look at verse 32. But recall the former ways when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Now again, the author is speaking ultimately to those who did endure the struggle, but not all did. And the warning here is for those people that turned their backs. And the warning is, don't go back. There is nothing to go back to. There no longer exists any, forget, any sacrifice for sins. You can't go back and just start sacrificing again to, to clean yourself up. It doesn't work. It's been done with. It's over. These people are being strongly warned. And the warning comes... A lot of the language in this text is, is from Old Testament writings, from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. From Deuteronomy 32, it's right here in the text. It says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. You see, sin, as these people knew, as all of these people knew, in the, in the, in the, cult, in the Jewish culture, everybody knew this scripture. And everybody knew that sin will and ought to be judged by our holy God. If God does not deal with our sin aggressively and completely, he ceases to be a holy God, and the blood of Jesus means nothing. So all of us, ever in existence, deserve to be judged harshly for our sin. God is holy and we are not. But because of the blood of Jesus, friends, 
When we come to judgment, the true believer will be seen as clean and pure. Not because anything we did, but because of what Jesus did for us, that he sacrificed for our sins. Because you might be thinking, as I often do, well, Matt, I know I'm one of those people who has at one point trampled underfoot the Son of God, has seen his word, has seen his presence in my life as worthless. I know that you probably have at one point profaned the blood of the covenant, have probably outraged the Spirit of grace by sinning deliberately. Yes. So drink this in. Romans 7, 22 to 25. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of death? Can you finish it with me? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Continuing on in in the first verse of Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? Sin has to and must and has been and will be intensely dealt with aggressively by our holy God. It must, or he's not holy. So this warning is aggressive because those who are covered by the blood of Jesus are sealed and are sanctified and are being made holy. For those that reject the blood of Jesus, there is no other place for you to go. And sin will be dealt with aggressively by our God. One of my favorite hymns, the hymnist says, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy thy tribute bring ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing. So, our big idea, God's wrath against sin, means the best possible news for those who continue in faith in Christ Jesus. Are you a follower of Christ Jesus today? I want to end our time with, with an exhortation and some encouragement as we go. First, an exhortation. Jesus says in Matthew seven, twenty-one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let me ask you, out of love and out of care and concern, have you been comfortably associating with Christianity? 
but you have yet to allow Jesus to fully and completely and permanently save you from your sins? Have you, have you yet to give your life fully to him to cover you and to sanctify you and purify you forever? Have you been involved, looking the part, maybe even enjoying the fellowship of other Christians, yet haven't completely uh, faithfully trusted in his blood? Friends, we see the consequences of this in our passage. The ramifications of unbelief and turning away from Jesus is a deep pit of nothingness. And if you haven't come to Jesus today, you have no hope. But, hear these good words. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness. So come to him today. There's no, there's no magic word that we say or scripture verse that we read or sentence that's perfectly executed. It's asking Jesus to save you from the sin you know you've committed and to believe in faith that his blood is sufficient to cleanse you for all eternity from all unrighteousness that you have done, will do, or will ever do. Now let me give an exhortation to some, some others of you who may have um, at one point made a true declaration of faith in Jesus. You are, you are sealed and pardoned and justified through his blood, but you've been wandering from the faith. Your lack of faith and maybe in the face of trial or the imperfections of the world or imperfections of people within and outside the church, have you burned and closed off and hardened toward Jesus? There is hope for you. In the warning we read in in verse 31, it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Yes, that is true. However, because the holiness of God cannot coexist with our sin. However, when we run to the arms of our God, what do we find? Love. Forgiveness. Blessing. The same arms that are fearful to fall into if we completely reject him are the same arms that we need to run to for our forgiveness, our acceptance, and our safety. Do you remember the prodigal son? Luke chapter 15. This is exactly what I'm getting at here. If, if the prodigal son knew that once he left the good graces of his father and went to field, if he knew that his father would reject him, shut him off, um, basically treat him as nothing, treat him as dead, he would not have come home. But he repented, he humbled himself, and he returned with the hope of maybe just living like, a, like another servant in his father's household. But we learn that for this wayward son who repented, the father opened his arms wide, who welcomed his son home and showered love and gifts upon him. This is our God. Yes, it is fearful to fall into the hands of a holy God. 
Yet through Jesus, his arms are open wide for us. Those of us, those of us who haven't come to him, those of us who have strayed, and those of us who are in his good graces, we must run to his arms moment by moment. Finally, as we close today, the band's going to come up. Um, and I'll welcome the communion team up here as well. Uh, we will all here experience setbacks, doubt, worry. But my encouragement to you today, those of you who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and have accepted his blood sacrifice for your sins to make you clean, my encouragement is to keep the faith, brothers and sisters. Repent where you need to. God is faithful to forgive us. So do that today if you have to. Confess to the Lord. Better yet, also confess to another brother brother or sister who can remind you, again, of the hope that we have. That's why we're here today. So during communion today, if you have something you need to repent, please take care of that with you and the Lord. Um, Daniel and I and... Um, Heidi Steers are going to be um, standing across the back. I, I hope that's not intimidating. If you need to pray with somebody, we are more than welcome, more than willing, sorry. We're more than willing to pray with you. If you need to find someone else in the congregation to pray with you, feel more comfortable, great. But know that if, if, all, you, if all you can do is start by saying to the Lord, like, I repent. I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z. I need you to remind me of your forgiveness for me. Do that. Because it's, it's never too late, friends. Do not let your heart grow hard. Listen to the warning of this passage. It's real. It's there. Okay? And don't neglect to meet together for encouragement. Verse 39 says... But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. The rest of the book of Hebrews, launching right in next week, we're going to be talking about our faith. So my friends, strengthen your faith today by running into the hands of our loving God. The insanely good news that there is no longer sacrifice for sins because it's been done once completely eternally and that truth is available for you and I today so come to it live by it and be changed all of us I love you guys and gals let me pray Heavenly Father let us go into this time of worship being reminded of your great love for us Holy Spirit, convict our hearts of where we need to change. Repent is not this theologically deep word. It just means to simply stop going this way and go the other way. Help us to know those places in those places where it's hard for us to say no to our sin. Holy Spirit, we ask you to convince us once again that your ways are better 
that your love is more satisfying and your loving arms are open and wide for us. So wherever we are today, I pray that you'd work in our hearts where we need to be um, convicted and changed um, and assured of our faith. I hope we are able to do that today. Help this to lead to good conversations throughout the week and throughout the, the month and year. And we love you, Lord. Amen.